This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. A new school for LGBTQ students and allies is set to open in New Haven this fall. Today on Where We Live, we preview the plans for Proud Academy with Patty Nicolari, who is the founder of the Academy, and hear from one prospective parent and child. But first, the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, or OCR, is investigating a discrimination complaint filed by several Farmington parents. They're alleging that the district didn't step in to stop LGBTQ-related bullying. In an email to the Hartford Current in August, the OCR said the opening of an investigation does not imply wrongdoing by the district, but said it was honing in on allegations that the school district did not appropriately respond to several incidences of gender identity or sexual orientation harassment, as well as dead naming, that were reported in February, March, May, and June. Dead naming is the deliberate use of a trans or non-binary individual's name prior to their transition. We also want to add a note here that the OCR did not reply to our request for an update. The Current also reports that the OCR's investigation is believed to be the first of its kind in New England. OCR is also focusing on seven out of the ten allegations in the complaint. One of the parents who filed this report joins me now, Melissa Combs. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Melissa, you filed this 54-page complaint along with other Farmington parents and guardians over the summer. Can you explain to us why had it gotten to this point? Well, I filed with OCR when all avenues for working with the district were exhausted. For months, I, alongside some other parents, met with them, tried to work with them uh, on creating a safe, affirming environment for LGBTQ plus students. And at the end of that process, what we were left with was using the three minutes available for public comment at Board of Education meetings. And by the board's own public comment policy, none of us would be allowed to step up to the podium to talk about specific incidents or individuals, which is what what needed to be addressed. Farmington Public Schools' superintendent's office has sent us a statement confirming that the district is working through the complaint with OCR and can't provide an update given an open investigation. But the statement also cited several district policies and efforts around equity and inclusion. It also notes that the district has a different perspective on the factual allegations, but that they respect the process and will be working with OCR to assist them in their review of these issues. So, Melissa, going back to the initial complaint, what do you hope to come out from this? Well, again, that a safe, affirming environment is is created for all students. Um, This is what, this is in the complaint, those are in the requested remedies. We ask for things like um, the students to see themselves and the faculty and staff and curriculum, because that's been shown to to create this sort of environment. Uh, We ask for a trans, a comprehensive trans and non-binary policy and we ask you know, for, for communication, for the, the district to, to show support for LGBTQ plus faculty, staff, 
and students in their in their communications. And your child Loki's experience was a major focus in the complaint. How is he doing now? He he is tough as nails. I I'm in awe of him every day. He still gets up and goes to school every day. And I don't know where he finds that motivation given everything that's that's swirling around him. You know, students in Farmington Public Schools know that I filed with the Office of Civil Rights. Um, so he, but he stands tall and goes to school every day. And I understand how fortunate we are that he's willing to do that because we have so many friends who have had to pull their kids from school because of the, because of the harassment. And he not only is standing up and going to school, it sounds like he is also standing up and speaking up during Board of Education meetings. There is one particular incident that he stood up and spoke in December. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So in November, the Board of Education had a vote on the calendar for the 23-24 school year. And this came on the heels of a two-year campaign by South Asian residents in Farmington to add Diwali to the calendar. And what ended up happening, I think, shocked everyone. And it was they, the Board of Education voted to not only not add Diwali, but to delete uh, the two Jewish holidays that have been on the school calendar since 1999. So in December, you know, there was between November and December, there was this this just swirling, just a tornado of activity around what happened with the calendar vote. And so Loki wanted to go to the December board meeting. And I said, OK. And uh, Loki wanted to speak. And I originally said no. But then when we got to the December board meeting, it became clear that they were going to rescind the calendar vote from November. And so they moved that up on the agenda before public comment but the all of the board of education members had statements prepared in which they chastised the community and many of them talked about feeling personally attacked uh one even talked about fearing for her safety and you know loki's looking at me and saying this is how i feel in school every day and so uh, Loki and I put together a quick speech and then Loki went to the podium and said, basically told them, this is how I feel in school every day. And now that you've experienced it, will you act? Loki has definitely done something that a lot of kids um, are doing. And I can't imagine me being a kid doing something like that. So kudos to Loki. And um, from all of this experience, you yourself has also stood up for these kids. And you're helping out as a consultant for Proud Academy, which is a new private school for LGBTQ youth and allies that's set to open up in New Haven this fall. Uh, we've got about two minutes left, but I want you to share really quick. Why is this kind of community-based school needed, do you think? Because in these hostile school environments, kids are not learning. It's, it's not possible for students to learn when they're existing in a constant state of fight or flight. So a school like Proud Academy removes that component 
and students can just go back to being students. You know, their childhood is not being stolen from them at a school like, like this. And I think it speaks to the work that needs to be done in a safe harbor state like Connecticut that this school is so, is so needed. Um, you know, the safe harbor law that was passed last year included protections for people seeking gender affirming health care. And that's wonderful, obviously, but if people are coming here to get this care, but they can't put their kids in a safe affirming environment, then really what's the point? So this is something I think the state legislature could be looking at just like they're looking into some other things related to to the safe harbor law. But I'm just thrilled that that kids will be able to go somewhere and actually learn. You've been hearing from Melissa Combs. She's one of the parents who filed an LGBTQ discrimination complaint against Farmington Public Schools. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa, and sharing your story and Loki's as well. Thank you, Catherine. This is Where We Live. I'm Catherine Shen. Coming up, we're going to hear from Patty Nicolari. She's Proud Academy's founder and executive director. You can also join the conversation. What have your experiences been in Connecticut schools? 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashanker, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity. For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umashanker has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Longtime Connecticut educator Patty Nicolari is planning to launch a school for LGBTQ youth in New Haven called Proud Academy. This will be the first school for LGBT youth in Connecticut and at least the fifth in the U.S. Proud stands for Proudly Respecting Our Unique Differences. And joining me now to discuss her hopes for Proud Academy is Patty Nicolari herself. Hi, Patty. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Patty, so you're the founder and the executive director for Proud Academy. Can you share a little bit about your story as an educator and how that brought you to this plan for the Academy? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, being an educator is one thing. Being an educator in the LGBTQ family is another thing and especially in the 80s and 90s. So um, I experienced, unfortunately, harassment firsthand. 
you know, students would suspect I was gay because I wasn't married and fit more of a profile, maybe of an LGBTQ person. So I had, you know, students shouting, we have a dyke for a teacher and they scratched les in my car. And clearly that creates a little anxiety as a teacher. And at one point I was running the talent show at the school. So the entire student population was there along with every staff member. And I said to one of the other LGBTQ educators, please listen to make sure nobody shouts uh, Miss Nick is a dyke. So I'm up on stage. Of course, cortisol is being released from in your bloodstream because if somebody says something like that, it totally disarms you when you're in the closet. So after the show, I went up to her and she said, nobody said anything, Patty. But this is what it's like, not just for the teachers who are in the closet, but for students who have to navigate this world as well. And so I feel part of my journey day by day led me to where I am today. And let me tell you, it's pretty empowering to come out because it allows you to be authentic. And there's nothing like being your authentic self. When I think of the days when I used to put pretend pictures of, you know, me with a guy on my desk and, you know, take this person to the prom, who's really one of my gay best friends, um, to, to throw students a curveball. And at one point I was teaching self-esteem. My lessons were to the students, feel good about who you are, embrace your individuality. And I felt like such a fraud because I wasn't doing that. So fast forward to 1997, I decided to let all of that go and take a risk. And I came out alongside Ellen DeGeneres' big coming out. And it was so nice to be well-received by the students. I actually had one student say, he was a football player, and he said, Miss Nick, if anybody gives you a hard time, you're going to have to have them see me. And then he said, and my mother's a lesbian, and she thinks you're cute. Are you dating anybody? <laughs> it was adorable. But that was like, the day was just like that. I came home and cried and said, no more living in fear. How can I help students feel the way I do now? Because what a waste of 15 years. I ended up becoming a professional development presenter around the nation and in Connecticut. I was on the GLSEN board, which is the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. I became a Stonewall speaker my life totally changed. And uh, so I'm all about empowering youth to not waste any time. And this school will absolutely be life-changing because to be able to be who you are will save lives. This motiva motivated me at Open Proud Academy, that's for sure. Well, that's quite the way to motivate us on this very cold day. And I, and I think, you know, regardless of your feelings of this, no one wants to live in fear, right? Everyone wants to feel empowered and especially our youth. And so it looks like things are moving quite quickly. The plan is to open in the fall and you are accepting an intent to enroll forms through the website uh, proudacademyct.org. What can you tell us about the students who are interested in this that you're hearing from? You know, what are their needs that you're hearing so far? Well, you know, you wonder if I build it, will they come? Is there really a need? So we put it out there to test the waters and overwhelmingly the answer is yes. So we have um, a sense of urgency. As I read the profile of students, what Melissa said before seems to be the common denominator. Students aren't feeling safe in their schools. 
even though we are a safe harbor state. Um, I see that parents are pulling their children to homeschool them. Even schools that have GSAs, you would think would be a safer school. Our main profile of student seems to be the trans and non-binary student. Uh, they're the target of the most hate, it seems today. And um, I think school systems need to really figure out how to work with, um, with the student population and the families. Until then, Proud Academy is absolutely needed. So there'll be um, um, a variety of factors uh, dependent upon the enrollment data. But if it keeps coming the way it is, um, we will have a healthy group of people. So we're all set for a lot of different scenarios. And, and tell me a little bit about that being all set. And obviously, data will help you inform some of the decisions that you will be making you know, further down the line. You've got a couple months to go until the fall. Um, but how will that data inform the grades that you serve and, um, and the teachers you hire and all of, that, all of that? Right. Well, we have partnered with the other four schools in the nation, the other LGBTQ schools in the nation. So I use them as a resource for many things. And one of them is when they first started, what was their enrollment like? And half of the schools, half, that means two out of four, <laughs> half of the schools started with a nonprofit running like a micro school. So it was two teachers and 12 students. And clearly that has escalated to something uh, bigger than that because Magic City Acceptance Academy in Alabama opened in 2021. And for 2022, they have doubled their enrollment and for next year, they know that they're outgrowing the space already. So there is clearly a need for that. So that will inform our decision. And interestingly enough, we are not even soliciting resumes. We're not putting it on LinkedIn or anything, but people are finding out about us. We have many people who want to be the principal of the school. People want to be the social workers, the teachers. I mean, the inpouring of uh, trauma specialists, everybody wants in. Because even teachers need a safe and affirming place. I had a teacher who said to me, and I'm not going to say the, the town, but it's a pretty progressive town. Lesbian teacher, legally married to a woman. But her principal told her she's not allowed to say that it's okay to have two moms and two dads to her elementary school class. And so she's feeling unsafe. So to teach in a school like Proud Academy, we get it. We understand the diversity that exists in the real world. I know there's a lot of things in flux right now, but can you share with us a bit about the intended capacity and also the grades um, that the Academy is planning on serving? Um, we are planning on, at this point, we are planning on grades 7 through 10 for the first year. Um, uh, the reason for that is we will be accredited. We will be, our, our goal is to be an international baccalaureate school. We will offer honors and AP classes. So we know that a rigorous curriculum is something that the students even requested. So, um that's where we are at this point. And bring me back to your question. <laughs> no, I was I just I was just curious because I know there's a lot of things in flux right now. You have several months to go. And it sounds like there's a lot of outpouring support and interest. But just curious in terms of do you have an idea of 
how many students you can have at this point or how many teachers you need. And, and, and you, I mean, you did answer the question about a grade served. So you've got that. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the grades, um, we would then add grade 11 and then grade 12. So once we become an accredited school, because we want students to graduate and go on to college, or at least have that as an option from an accredited high school. So um, we are preparing for any scenario. If we have to start with a micro school like the other schools in the nation did, uh, we'll start with two teachers. I have two teachers already for that scenario, and they would teach, uh, you know, math, science for one teacher, and then English and history for the other teacher. And if we start off with 12 students, at least 12 students are in a safe and affirming environment. And what can and you, if, okay. and if we're like Magic City Acceptance Academy, I mean, they're up to 350 people. So who knows where this can go? Right. And can you tell us about where are you looking in New Haven for the Proud Academy to land? Yeah, um, New Haven is very multicultural, which is very appealing. So um, I've looked at, and our building committee has looked at schools in New Haven that are no longer in use. We looked at one on Dixwell Avenue. We looked at one on Legion Avenue. I've looked at many buildings that are vacant because a realtor was working with me on possibilities. And we seem to be landing on one that is very appealing. It's a former school, and it was also for grades seven through 12. The space is priceless. It's cavernous on the inside. So we envision live theater productions, hosting fundraisers. Um, uh, it already has a science lab in there, many classrooms, small rooms for trauma specialists and social workers, um, psychologists, and uh, a library that is beautiful. The Ri West River runs along this building. And Barb Duncan, who was our board president and a former science teacher, said, oh, my gosh, I can picture the science teacher doing live learning labs out here. And she had goosebumps at the thought of it. So um, we're excited about that as a possibility. And we're in lease negotiations and discussions now. And that sounds like a very exciting endeavor. Talk about live learning. Who doesn't love a good live learning, right? Um, That's and real. and um, well, and then all of this obviously will have to come at a cost. And and what does tuition cost look like for for the students so far? Well, in Connecticut, there's anywhere from forty five hundred to a private school up to ninety five hundred for a private school. So there's quite a range there. And um, our tuition would be anywhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars. Now, um, clearly, socioeconomic background is in our mission statement, so we don't want anybody to be challenged uh, and not be able to attend. So we plan on, you know, doing a lot of fundraising and hoping that people would sponsor students to come to this school. And the tuition will actually be based, how many, how many schools, private schools base their tuition is on the federal program using the income guidelines under the free and reduced lunch program. So that will help um, guide us. And we have a committee working on that as well. And a related question is, so how does, how will admissions work? Is it need-based, application-based? Can you sort of walk us through what that process would be like? In consultation with the other schools in the nation, um, we are, we also have a committee working on that as well. So we will develop like a rubric and, um, 
the rubric, you know, will have categories of students, you know, is it need, is it academic support, is it level of trauma support, uh, the social emotional component. Our dream is to take any student who needs us. That would be our dream. Our dream would be so big that every student wants to come to our school, whether, you know, you're an ally, because of course we need the upstanders as well. Allies are a real important part of this. And in the other schools, like Magic City Acceptance Academy, 45% of the enrollment is LGBTQ, and the other 55% are allies. Because the allies realize that if a trans student could feel safe in a school, oh, I am in. So then everybody needs a safe and affirming space. So it will be appealing. Well, you just literally took the words out of my next question, and you mentioned allies, and I wanted to ask, and I will still ask, um, why are allies <laughs> such an important part of this community? I know Melissa Combs, who is a parent who filed a, uh, a federal complaint against uh, Farmington Public Schools, said something very similar, and, and which is not surprising, but, you know, just kind of go through that with us again. You know, why are allies such an important part of this community? Well, they're part of the real world as well. And, you know, when people, you know, it was a white person going to a Black Lives Matter um, uh, rally, you know, we all need to lift each other up and support each other. So um, allies sometimes have a louder voice and it speaks volumes. So um, our, half of our board are cisgender heterosexual folks, and they feel strongly about supporting this. It's a team effort. It does sound like a team effort. And I just, we've got about two minutes left. But I do want to just ask real quickly, you know, Melissa was on earlier, you were listening. Do you have any thoughts about what the stories that she has shared and her uh, motivation behind what she is working on right now? Oh, I get it. Her story, I get it. The, the profiles coming in from the parents, you know, one of the questions is, why would you want your child to come to Proud Academy? And basically it's Melissa's story, you know? Um, I've heard parents say, I just want my kid to be happy again. And it breaks your heart reading these stories. It really is, this will save lives. That sounds dramatic, but it's really not. And we are so much more than a school. We are a movement. And we recognize that we will not only be the first in Connecticut, we will be the first in New England. Well, you've been listening to Patty Nicolari, who is the founder of Proud Academy, and she will be staying with us. This is where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. Coming up next, we'll hear from one family that has expressed interest in applying to Proud Academy. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. When we 
think of slavery in the U.S., we don't usually think of Connecticut, but slavery happened here. The probate inventory mentions three cows, two barns, one enslaved Negro woman, and one Indian boy. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org slash unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org slash Pepin. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're previewing plans for a new school in New Haven that's geared towards LGBTQ youth. Founder and executive director Patty Nicolari tells us that there's been a lot of interest from Connecticut families. And one of the families is a Tiffany Wong, who is a Fairfield parent, and her child, Maddie Joyella, filled out one of those forms to uh, join the academy. Where We Live's producer Katie Pellico spoke with them about their interest in the school earlier. As a parent, it's been really painful to see um, your child be bullied or feel like they're not safe or supported at school. So when I heard about Proud Academy, the first thing I thought was this is a, this is a place where kids can be who they are. This is a place where they don't have to feel different. Um, and they hopefully can be in an environment where they feel safe to learn. Um, because I think that's one of the things about being in a school where you don't necessarily feel safe. You're always thinking about that instead of being able to learn properly. And, you know, I think the schools have been have been great and they're supportive, but there's also not a lot of understanding of what kids are going through these days. Um, not a lot of real understanding around gender identity. You know, I can I can say just for me as as an adult, we grew up sort of one, you know, knowing one thing, you're you're gay or you're not gay, right? And now there's a whole spectrum of of other types of like gender identity, sexual like all of that. And I think um as much as people try to be open-minded, it's still really hard and it's still really confusing. So being in a place where teachers will understand, kids will understand, the administration will understand, uh, I, I think would be would be really beneficial. So just a quick apology that that was the wrong bite, but it was actually Maddie's mom, Tiffany, talking about her interest. And we have uh, Patty Nicolari, who is the founder and executive director for Proud Academy, uh, still with us to uh, to have this conversation. Uh, Patty, as you're listening, how is this reflective of what you're hearing from parents and families? Well, this is the narrative that I'm hearing from everybody. And, you know, even parents need support because they, too, are navigating some challenges within their own family. And I feel as though we as not just Connecticut, but we as a nation need to figure that out. We need to work with our families and our students, whatever that takes. And now let's take a listen to Maddie, who is a Tiffany's non-binary child. Here was her reaction to hearing about Proud Academy. Um, my mom told me, and it sounded just like really cool to have like a school kind of centered around LGBTQ. I've kind of been bullied like a lot last year, mostly, 
and so it's it's really hard because it's mostly about my sexuality and like I think it would be really cool just to have somewhere where it's like a safe environment and not be afraid of that happening. So just flipping the questions real quick with Patty, you know, how that was Maddie. And how is Maddie's experience um, reflective of what you're hearing from families where we live? I just hit the pause button and, and visualize Maddie being in a school like Proud Academy and thriving and the opportunities uh, just to be authentic and just to be a kid and to focus in on being a kid and um, concentrating on their academics versus constantly being guarded. Um, is somebody going to say something? Is, um, are they going to judge me for the way I look? Um, this, this needs to change and Proud Academy will offer that respite for families and for students. Imagine a parent sending their child out the door to go to school knowing they're going into battle, knowing that that child is probably going to face an awful day. And now switch it to, my child is going to Proud Academy, where the teachers, the principals, uh, the staff, everybody understands my child. Even if we have a school resource officer, it would be somebody who is in the LGBTQ family who gets it. So that is refreshing for families. And Tiffany also dug deeper into the hurdles and the challenges that she's met trying to learn and understand what her child is going through, which I imagine is what a lot of parents are going through. Uh, let's take a listen to that one. I grew up, you know, I'm, pro- I'm progressive, I'm liberal. But even when Maddie first started talking about this, I'm like, what is this? You know, I, these are all sort of new concepts, I think, to to a lot of people. So it's, you know, it's it can be confusing. I get it. It's interesting because it is something that I've really tried. I've had to sort of grapple with the last couple of years is because, you know, you grow up and, and you, you think um, I can handle anything that comes my way because I'm open and I'm liberal. I'm about as liberal as they come. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, your child says to you, I'm non-binary and what the heck is that? And you feel like an old curmudgeon. (laughs) And all of a sudden I had to kind of like, I had to sort of reconcile who I thought I was with what was really ingrained in me as, you know, growing up, which is, this was just not a thing. And, you know, there are times where you think this is, and you still think this is not a thing, right? Kids are making this up these days. Obviously that's not true, but there's a part of your brain that has to get there. And it's sort of like, oh, wow, I guess I'm not as, I'm not as open. I'm not as progressive as I thought I was. That's, that's hard. (laughs) It's hard to come to, to, you know, come to terms with. I imagine what Tiffany just said probably resonates with law parents. Um, Patty, can you speak to how complex an issue this is for many parents and people? Well, it's very complex. Um, you know, I have somebody in my own family who just came out uh, trans. And so, you know, this person for 18 years in one way. And then on Christmas Eve, they show up presenting in another way. But, you know, like my own relative lost 30 pounds and just feels so authentic. Um, But the family still has to wrap their head around it and try really hard not to use uh, the dead name and even understand what that means. So there's a lot of learning that needs to take place. You know, and I have to say, as a 65-year-old, 
you know, when my sister read my profile on, uh, on our website and it says, Patricia Nicolari, a queer educator, she had a visceral reaction. She starts tears in her eyes. My sister is not queer. You make them take that down, Patty, because we're from a different generation where that word was just the lowest of low. So we all need to be educated and we all need to evolve with the, the changes. And I really feel this generation is going to allow us to look at things differently, even gender. My nieces and nephews in their 30s having children, they don't do the, the pink and blue bedrooms anymore. You know, they do, you know, gender neutral colors because as soon as you paint a room blue or pink, it automatically says, I'm going to treat this child this way versus this way. So there's little wiggle room for them to figure out themselves, you know. Well, of course, you've had so many experiences with this and you you mentioned that generational gap, actually. And uh, do you have any guides or, or advice or are there other questions that you find yourself fielding when when it comes to how do you have this conversation? One of the questions that I get a lot is, um, don't you think, and, and um, Tiffany addressed this before, don't you think that there's just so many trans people coming out and non-binary people coming out that it's a trend and it's cool to be ambiguous? No, not at all. It's not cool to be ambiguous and be harassed. But I think what social media does is it allows somebody to say, oh my gosh, I feel that way too. You know, versus me growing up, the only role model I had was Billy Crystal on soap who was a straight man playing a gay person. And he was harassed so much just for playing a gay person on TV that it doesn't feel safe to come out. So representation matters. And the more confident people feel coming out, the more of us will be out and confident and the world will say, oh my gosh, there are so many more people than I realized. That's where we need to be. And we and ironically, are, as I'm sitting here speaking, we just got two more student enrollment forms. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, hey, you're welcome for that. Um, I Thank wanted you. Um, because, you, you, you know, you, uh, we've heard from Maddie earlier who mentioned that she was bullied because of her gender identity. And we've also heard from Melissa talking about kids needing a safe space for this. Um, what what are your thoughts about security and safety and what Proud Academy can do for that? Well, we know that, you know, there's physical safety and uh, that will be taken very seriously. And then there's emotional safety as well, which is already providing the support systems in place and having a therapeutic component is critical. But I have, you know, a few people in mind have been emailing, actually three people have emailed me that they want to do security and be considered for security at our school because they understand the population. And, uh, you know, there's some negativity with uh, typical school resource officers because of the, the school to prison pipeline data. So um, we're cognizant of that. But to have somebody in the LGBTQ family, the uh, physical presence in the building is, is the panacea. I just want to really quickly do a correction. I want to clarify that Maddie is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. So apologies to Maddie for that earlier. And I know, um, Patty, you mentioned this before. We've got about 
two minutes left, but I wanted to ask real quick. You, you've mentioned your work with other schools for LGBTQ youth in the U.S. How did you find each other? And just really quick, how has that been like? Well, the Harvey Milk School in Manhattan has been around since 1985, and they were first run by the Hedrick Martin Institute. So they started off with two teachers and 12 students and morphed into um, uh, grades 10 through 12. And for the first time this year, they added grade nine. So I went down to visit Daphne Perini and Mark, the principal and assistant principal, and ask them questions and network. And when I was down there, Daphne said to me, Patty, did you hear about the new school that just popped up in Alabama called Magic City Acceptance Academy? And we both hadn't. And it prompted me to say, we need a partnership to know who is out there. So then I found uh, Albert Einstein Academy in Ohio. Kristen Thomas is the, the superintendent there. And we just had a Zoom meeting with all of the schools. And Celeste Lassine from the Trevor Project is a part of that Zoom meeting because together we are going to form, you know, the United States LGBTQ schools and um, help each other out. Well, thank you so much for that, Patty. Uh, you've been listening to Patty Nicolari, who is the founder and executive director for Proud Academy. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us today. Thank you very much for having us. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.